All right, guys. Uh, here we have Captain Zachary Bargus here to talk a little bit about uh, just going through the process of becoming an officer in the military. <clears throat> that way you guys can see a little bit more of the pipeline from that perspective, because obviously me and Daniel do not have it. We appreciate him for being on. Uh, Zachary, why don't you just tell him a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do right now? Hey, first of all, hey, thanks, James, for having me on the show. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, currently I'm a battery commander um, of a rocket unit. Uh, my headquarters is headquarters battery command. So I, I'm, I'm, most of my people are are, are staff, um, but I'm a field artillery officer. And um I feel field artillery officer is, right, you go to Bullock and generally as a lieutenant, your your first jobs are either a fire support officer, a fire direction officer, or a, a platoon leader. And you go through those processes and become a captain. And that's where I am now, right? So I, I sat on staff for a little while and now I'm a, a commander. And um, I feel artillery officer, right, right, it's indirect fires. You're not uh, always towards the front, and many times you're kind of towards the back, and you got to realize where you're at with all that. So, um, but yeah, I'm glad to be here on the show. All right. So, you are a 13 Alpha, which for you guys, and like what he just described, is essentially the officer of, you know, field artillery officer. So, for example, I was 13 Fox. So I had an FSO who was a fire support officer, who was a officer that, you know, was essentially our platoon leader. So that was actually how I met um, Zachary here. So um, they also have to do time on the line with the guns, different kinds of guns and things like that, as well as the FTC. So Zachary, um, now that we kind of know, have nailed down that you're the 13 Alpha, uh, you're currently in command of a fearless artillery unit. Um Let's talk a little bit about your process for joining the army, because I know for a lot of guys that, you know, watch us and listen to us are they plan to go enlisted. So a lot of them go on right after high school, um, some a little bit later on, but none of them are a lot of them are kind of, you know, iffy on the officer track. And I know that me and Daniel maybe do not a great job of kind of selling the officer side um, just because we are enlisted and there's a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of joking back and forth about enlisted versus officer and things like that. and. Enlisted always in front of the officers. And um, so just sure. why don't we talk about your process for you kind of like your recruiting process um, out of, you know, high school slash college, what that was like for you. Cause I know a lot of these guys are 18 year olds old, just going to talk to a recruiter, but is it this, is that the same for you guys on the officer side? How do you get involved? And at what point did you decide to join the army and what this, what steps did you take? So, so it's not exactly the same. Um, so <clears throat> after high school, I decided to go to college first. I, I started out uh, I went to San Diego State University down in Huntsville, Texas, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, like probably most people coming out of high school. Um, but I, I saw the ROTC program. I thought that was kind of cool looking, at least from what they're doing, you know, running around with, with Army on their shirt. I thought that was cool at the time. Um, and... I didn't know if I wanted to enlist, enlist or, or go officer. I was real iffy about it myself. Um, and I knew that I kind of want to be a part of that collective organization of guys that are like, you know, there for each other doing stuff. And, uh, and at the time, of course, I just, you know, thought that I wanted to be a badass and, and doing the army was definitely the way to do that. So I, uh, I decided uh, my, I, in my freshman year, I was like, Oh, I got a buddy here is in the national guard. So I, Join the National Guard. So I listed as a 13 Fox myself uh, for uh, just a little bit of time. All right. So I went to basic and AIT and then I uh, came back to college 
And then I joined the ROTC program. And I was kind of deciding at the time, like, what do I want to do? Do I want to stay in the guard? um, Or do I want to um, try to commission as an officer? So whenever you're, you're in college, and if you do join an ROTC program, you're, when you first get there, it's just a class at first. You're going to go through um, uh, just a normal, like once or once or twice a week, you're going to have, I can't remember, you're going to have classroom time. And then also you have like a lab time where you're probably going to go out to, uh, we had, we had a big ranch that we trained on and stuff for just a few hours a week. Right. And uh, so we would, that's, that's all it is at first until you contract with them and raise your right hand and, and everything and say, I want to be a cadet in the United States Army. And that's what I ended up ultimately doing. I, I said, uh, man, the officer route looks cool to me. Um, the There are ROTC recruiters, and they kind of convinced me, like, hey, this is a good route. So I went in and took it. So um, throughout that college time, you are a contracted cadet in the United States military. And, um, and, and from there, once you graduate with a commitment, you so get your grades right. And, and um, that was a process for me actually becoming an officer through college. Okay, so how how was the process for you talking to these um, ROTC recruiters in school in terms of how did that work with you already technically being in the National Guard? Um, so so basically, if you're already in the National Guard or Reserve or something like that and you go talk to ROTC recruiter, um, one, you got to get enrolled in the ROTC class after that. And then if you do decide to contract um, what you'll do is called the SMP program or simultaneous membership program where you're basically a contracted cadet, but you can remain in your unit until you commission, um, the national guard or reserve unit. And that, that's what I did. So, so were you still doing uh, drill once a month then for the national guard at that yes. point? Okay. Yes, I was. So, so once you raise your right hand and all that stuff and then, and, don't get me wrong too. Like, it's not just like you walk up and say, I want to, I want to be a contract cadet. Like you got to, there is a small bit of like selection process with that. You have to like actually one be in shape, right? And uh, and show that you're not a total idiot, um, which is subjective. But yep. right, I made it. Yeah, um, exactly. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, after they they select you, sometimes they might not have enough contracts. Like, hey, I can only contract like six cadets this year in their program of. 20 people that want that there's 20 people are still in their program that they want to go ahead and contract. They're going to choose like the top six or seven or whatever it is. Um, but so once you make, once they say, okay, yeah, we'll give you a contract, then you, there's some paperwork process after that and, and all that stuff. But then you're going to become a cadet and while you're drilling, and I'm sorry, James, this might, might seem like bull crap to you, but uh, right. You, you're going to get E5 pay um, as a cadet while you go to your unit. Um, but you'll wear, wear like a little dot or a cadet, a cadet, right? You're gonna go drill, yeah. So you had a dot. The, the like West that. Pointers have a line, they have lines. That's true. I can't talk very much about West Point, <clears throat> yeah, I don't yeah. know a whole lot about West um, Point. Just, um, just for the but, guys, so when you guys would see cadets, when you guys see people with like a weird rank on, it's either like a full in, like a dot, um, or their lines that means they're they're cadets, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and um. You guys get yeah, E5 so, so pay I, while you do that? We do, yes. Yeah. Man. That's right. Nah, I, I wish I could go back in time and be much meaner to those cadets. <laughs> yeah, right. You should. <laughs> y'all, y'all should be mean to those cadets. But uh, no, I was, a, I was a PFC, and then all of a sudden I was getting E5 pay. Oh, um, and you do get some like stipends, on some small stipends on top of that. Uh, now, there are different contracting things with the ROTC, right? You can, if you, if I help, 
well, I didn't know, right? If I hadn't joined the guard, I could have done an actual like full ROTC uh, scholarships, right? So uh, because technically the, the guard can pay for your college, right? The you can't do a full contract with the ROTC at the same time. It's like you have to do the simultaneous membership program thing. And I'm sorry if I, I'm, my terminology is not exactly correct. If some of y'all out there are a bit more uh, can remember, right? This I went through this about eight years ago and stuff. I can't remember all of it, but basically. I, if I hadn't joined the guard, I could have gone to RGC and I, I and first and just done that route only, and they could have paid for like all of my tuition or like all of my room and board. Um, okay, so so were you do. using TA the tuition assistance through the National Guard at that point? Then, uh, a little bit, unfortunately. I'll, I'll I can speak on that for just a moment. Uh, so I think the TA rules have changed to where you have to have graduate basic and AIT and have been in, I think a year. Don't quote me on that. I think you have to be in a year though, before you can even use TA. So if, you, if back then it wasn't like that. And, um, but nowadays I don't think people would be able to use their TA if they had just like enlisted while in college, they would have to wait like prior closer to senior year after they've been in the guard and done with their initial entry training, um, for a while before they can even use their TA. But I did use like a semester of TA and, uh, and then the guard switched to the go army ed program and there was some issues with it. And I couldn't get, I couldn't get very much after that. And then I couldn't get any of my, my, my payments after that. So a lot of it, it was student loans, man. And I, I kind of suffered through that. Did you do, but, uh, um, did you have the option to do, cause I know usually when officers go in, they can do student loan repayment programs. Because uh, I know that obviously I, I got the 9-11, the GI Bill, right. uh, the post 9-11 GI Bill, but I know some officers go in and they either did ROTC where they got paid, their school paid for already, or some of them do college and then commission and then they do the, um, essentially the army pays back your student loans. Right. So I, I went into the army during sequestration and they actually took out SLRP, the student okay. loan parent program. That. I'm not sure if that's come back or not. Uh, I'm sorry for your listeners. I'm not entirely sure if that's an option for you right now, but look into it, please. Uh, whatever way you can to pay for college. Um, but yeah, so uh, from there, right? So I'm in the SMP program. Uh, I've, I, I'm just doing my RTC thing and drilling on uh, one week in a month uh, until, I, until I commission. Um, there is a, when you are in ROTC, they used to call it LDAC. They call it like cadet summer training camp or, or something like that. They made the, la- the name way lamer. But uh, it's at Fort Knox, Kentucky. You had to go for like three weeks. And uh, and it's just assessment program sort of thing you got to go through where they do land nav and basic soldier skills and some like sticks lanes and stuff. Did for a you few weeks do that? The, yeah. Did you have to do that in conjunction with your AT for the guard? No. So... Because you're the simultaneous membership program, you can the the uh, the LDAC or Cadet training camp takes place there. Of your okay, so just for you, yeah. everyone's situational awareness, listening, um, usually in the guard you do one week in a month, and they in quotes it's two weeks a year. Usually you have like two weeks to a month of training in the field um, in a year, like called AT or whatever. So um, yeah. this Ain't simultaneous no training, membership yeah. program. Uh, allowed you to take the place of that using the LDAC, the cadets summer course, it was able to take the uh, the place of that annual training, which is nice that you didn't have to do both. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, and there's some small opportunities you get to do as as a cadet, like after LDAC, if you want during that same summer. They, you know, everything you do is that's like training wise outside school. Obviously, during the summer because you got to come back to school and stuff. Um, but CTLT, um, Army acronyms, man. Uh, cadet training leadership, something. Basically, as a cadet, you can you get to go to a unit. A real army unit and hang out there for a few weeks and shadow a platoon leader or, or some lieutenant over there. And that, that, that's something I did as well. I went to, uh, I think, first ID. And, uh, you know, it's, it's beneficial. You get to, before you go in commission, you get to go hang out and see uh, a real army unit. Um, and there are a couple, and obviously there's some small, you might be able to get some schools out of it too. So as, as a cadet, there's cadets to go to airborne school and air assault school and stuff as well. So there's some options out there. So if you're thinking about becoming a cadet, right, it's not just hanging out at school. There is some training involved. You don't, you do have more options than just going the ROTC only route. If you want to join the guard reserves during school, or if you're already in the guard and reserves, you can go talk to an ROTC recruiter at whatever school you want to and, 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 uh, and register as well. Uh, yeah. Cause I remember there was cadets that would jump with us, which means they'd already been airborne school. Usually this was like the cadets that were like in their senior year, like, a, like right. about to be in the army actually. But yeah, I, I definitely remember yeah. some of them having schools and badges and stuff. Um, so as much as I used to joke about RTC guys, that definitely is definitely a good path. <laughs> if you do want to be officers. And I always recommend to these guys, um, I kind of recommend to them if they're going to go in for, uh, like a short stint, like one or two contracts. Uh, I always recommend going enlisted, but if they're going to go in and want to do a full on career, I usually uh, like recommend going officer just because, um, either way you, you stop doing the boots on the ground stuff as an enlisted. Yeah. And off, like, so it's going to happen either way, but you're just going to get paid more and you're going to have your degree and stuff going to the officer route. Plus you'll have a little bit more of, uh, you know, a capability to, have a more overarching effect on a lot more units as you get up into the ranks, like as a commander, as a captain, you know, major and, uh, you know, into the colonels and stuff like that. So, um, that is good. I, I definitely forgot about the, the cadet route and how, um, effective it is like getting you some schools and getting you into some units to get some more experience. So you, you actually do show up a little bit more, uh, prepared and, you know, knowledgeable. <clears throat> Yeah, I will say also if you go ROTC versus like West Point or, or VMI, nothing gets those schools, right? Great, great military academies and stuff like that. But if you want a normal college life and go to a ROTC is the route for you. Um absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely true. The West Points, the military academies are very, very strict. Um I have a buddy who went through and he like his whole freshman year, like you don't leave school like you're just oh, at school, like you're essentially locked down for that first year. I don't even think you can have a car. No, no, you can't. And you get like you get more freedoms kind of as you go across the four years, but you're never going to have, you know, an, the actual like the college experience. Um, so that is a good point. Yeah, I didn't even like sometimes I forget how how strict they are. Um, <laughs> so, Zach, so you did the guard. Uh, so you had 13 Fox AIT. Um, you know, you are 13 Fox in the guard and then you started doing ROTC. Going through all that. Um, so besides the the training stuff, how do you feel that you got um 
in comparison to actually once you were in the the army how do you feel that the cadet the rotc training helped you like the was the land nav effective at teaching you guys how to do stuff um like did you feel comfortable did they do what other things kind of did they teach you like what was there any op board training um did you guys shoot at all like what's the the breakdown of kind of like what you guys did throughout the you know three or four years you did the cadets uh, so for our, our RTC, yeah, upward training and land nav, we, we were actually pretty darn good at that. Um, so I was a, it was, it depends on which RTC you go to. Remember, but these are all school run, and uh, although the the staff and everything actually work for the army, right? They're they're at the mercy of what the school has for as far as resources. So, like my school had a very large branch. I don't know how big it was, but um, there was a verified land nav course out there and everything like that, and it was very structured. And we had a, a big place to train. So we did land nav and sticks lanes and stuff out there. And we, and it was some pretty dense woods and stuff like that. So, you know, I did, it was, and it was all pine. It looked a lot like Bragg out there. Um, a little hotter, but it looked a lot like Bragg. Um, but I met people who were cadets that didn't get that kind of training. Didn't get a, land, a lot of land nav, a lot of sticks, a lot of upward training because like the places that they didn't have anywhere to train, especially like uh, some schools that were in cities. Right, like uh, um, yeah, I can imagine like NYU yeah. and stuff like in New York City. Yeah, there's exactly. no way they're doing land nav. They're doing urban land nav, I guess. <clears throat> right, or, they, or they're like <laughs> taking big like trips out somewhere really far away to do something like that, and that's it's unfortunate for those folks. I mean, I, every you know every Wednesday or something, we went out into our our ranch, and then they, people there were were, were uh, pretty open to like that's just like go out to the ranch whenever they wanted to sort of thing. So we just go practice our own time and stuff like that. Or, oh, that's awesome. Because that's one of the so biggest, was, yeah, yeah, that's one of the biggest issues is land. People are always worried about land nav. Um, the fact that you had access to like on-call land nav courses to practice those skills yeah. is, is huge. And looking back, like the course was hard. Like if I were to go there now, it'd be extremely easy. But I was a cadet, obviously, and, and brand new, like it was a little tough. And, um, but even, even those easier reps, just having the reps there, be able to do it that's that's what helped me succeed so i got to you know brag uh pending your your um uh pending your opinion i wasn't bad at land f right i i generally knew where i was i think at least with your help yeah yeah well i mean usually i was there to help um but yeah so i, I tell these kids all the time like land f is is funny because it's it's really not um the course the there are more difficult courses or whatever but as long as you're doing the actual skills themselves correctly it doesn't really matter how hard the course is um except yeah. usually for how how far you have to walk but i tell them all the time i'm like you need to like get these little things as you kind of go through your courses because you're going to do it in basic and anti and whatever because landing is one of those things if you do one thing wrong it just starts to compound all the way through all of the actions oh yeah so being allowed oh, to yeah. practice like each separate skill and like get those reps in is huge. I know I like all of these guys that watch um, our content are going to be very jealous because like they're all super worried about land nav and it's just it's it's not something you can really practice on your own <laughs> unless you have access to something like that, which ninety nine percent of people don't yeah. have access to anything like that. So yeah, it is definitely one of those <laughs> skills that's that is that's really really helpful. Um, so that's good to know. And the guys will like be glad to know that there are areas where they can get some land nav training in especially if they're going the officer route yeah um so <clears throat> that did you guys shoot at all not really no um uh, we like maybe like once a year but it was almost uh, looking back i don't know how funding works a lot in rtc or or i think things like that but like or liability. we had we, 
Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> we had we had some M16s. I mean, there was also we had a shooting team and stuff. Uh, oh well, yeah. But but I'm not entirely. We like once I think like like once a year we were like one semester we went out and like zeroed an M16. Like there's my there were nine rounds. I fired. Okay, goodbye. Okay, that sort so. of thing. Um, or even if they didn't, I think they, they like had that, that might've been the allocation for cadets. Right. So, um, either the army you'll have for, for your listeners, right. You'll have a strack amount of rounds are allowed people. I'm sure cadets cadet command and, and the brigades that fall under cadet command and those individual ROTC battalions aren't really authorized to receive any rounds except for maybe their army, sh- their, their, uh, competitive shooting team. Yeah. But we were able to like once a year, like one semester ago. So no shooting, shooting did not. Uh, we, we didn't get much practice with the guard, you know, almost annual qualification sort of thing. Uh, but that, that's about it. Went through college. Any any shooting that you want, if you want to get better, I mean, hold on for for everyone out there, if you want to get better at something, you gotta take initiative and do it yourself. So if you have an AR or something like that, and you want to get better at shooting, go to the range. If you want to improve yourself on anything, like do it yourself. Just start out. Like we like we just talked about Land Ave and going out there and, and, and taking initiative and just doing it ourselves at that ranch. Like, yes, we had the resources to do so, but like find the resources. Do better yourself on your own time. Don't wait for someone else or or just go do it yourself. Yeah, um, like for me, I'm from New York, so like I didn't really do a lot of shooting beforehand. Um and I definitely was oh, not fair, as fair. good in like basic training. Like I, there was like, I had, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, for me, I learned most of my shooting in RASP. Actually, they have like a really, really good, like one week where you just go out oh, okay. and shoot from like nine to five, like five or six days in a row. Um, <laughs> and the, yeah, the shooting training that we got in RASP is, is second to none. Like I've never received any kind of training that was better than that. Um, but yeah, so that's, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm, I I didn't know how it worked for cadets. I didn't know if they were like one, I didn't know how, like what NCOs would want to sign off on being in charge of bringing, you know, a bunch <laughs> of you know, <laughs> college kids to the range. Not, um, not yeah. No. So I figured, <clears throat> um, and so what exactly does the, the gap for you look like? Um, so you are a cadet all the way up to your senior year, like you graduate mm-hmm. and then then what like from graduation on what exactly happens so so with graduation you're going to pin on your, your second lieutenant rank and it will be a ceremony or something like that and then after that um so during your senior year some of the things have changed a little bit for me um and with the field artillery so it somewhat depends on which branch you go in whether field artillery infantry armor etc cetera, etc cetera. uh it depended on when you'd be told like your first duty station and stuff like that for the field artillery it was uh Basically, well, hold on a second. Once you graduate, then you go to Bullock, and it, there are certain dates you get. I had to wait six months to get my Bullock date, in fact. Um, so I, during that six months time frame, like I was basically a civilian. I wasn't getting paid by the army, but I like I had no income. I had actually we moved in with. Um, my mother-in-law, we, we got married right after college. My wife and I did. So, uh, we, we had, we were playing it out like that, but, uh, we moved into her house for about six months. I went and got a job on a golf course, uh, right, uh, cleaning carts and, uh, and stuff like that. And, uh, for six months, that's what I did until I went and left for Bullock. So 
you might have some time in between there where you are basically, you need to go find a job, right? Or move home or something like that for a few months up to six to seven months, um, depending on when your bullock date is. But then after that, you go active duty and you start your bullock time. When did your um, like requirements to show up for a drill and stuff end? Was it on the day you graduated? Uh, yes. Yes, it was on the day I graduated. So okay. once... Once the uh, the actual officer contract is made, the SMP contract is broken. Um, so once I became a second lieutenant, like I just had to go with my unit, I got turned in my CIF to them and all that stuff. The guard issued me, and then uh, I, I cleared that unit, and uh, that was it. Guard time's over, and then I was basically a civilian. Yeah. And so when you did the, uh, the track, I know a lot of guys talk about sometimes like, um, when they do ROTC and stuff like that and specifically like definitely at West point as well, like the getting your specific branches, not always like guaranteed. That's right. And also it's not always guaranteed to get active duty either. Um, sometimes you have to fight for those. So in ROTC, I think same thing for West point in general, like they're only going to have a certain amount of active duty slots. And obviously branch slots as well. We, I'll, I'll get into that in a second. But like, uh, there's going to be so so active duty positions. Like it counts against. There's, there's certain slots they get. There's certain numbers they get. But the reserve and guard positions don't count against your against their numbers. So but they have ten spots to give for active duty. Like they have as many spots that you want for reserve and guard. So if you really if you're like a cadet and like, man, I really want to just be in the guard, and you say I just want to be in the guard, like you're going to get the guard. Or you're going to get the reserves or whatever, but you're fighting for an active duty slot if you want an active duty. I had friends that did not get active duty. I really wanted active duty at the time. Additionally, right, you're fighting for what branch you want. Um, field artillery um, is actually one of the easier combat branches to get because it's generally uh, they're so always much. looking for. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> yes, yeah, it does. Um, but that was the number one choice um, at the time. Well, uh, I get. I mean, I, I would assume you know as a 13 five like you were in the artillery yeah. world so that would have just helped you out you know you had a, you would knew something at least yeah yeah <laughs> well uh yeah sure but uh actually my first my first uh choice was originally aviation but once again i was turning in the time of sequestration i don't know if you remember i had glasses for a little bit uh before i got to bragging at lasik uh but because of sequestration they they told me that i couldn't go our aviation because the army didn't want to fix my eyes. I had some full bird colonel come and grab me during my that cadet summer camp. And he's just like, Hey man, there's a situation. You got to choose a different branch as your number one. You can't go aviation. I was like, Oh, well shit. So that's okay. All right. It worked out. I'm a field artillery officer. Um, but if you want another branch, uh, other than field artillery, um, definitely put field artillery towards, the bottom not the bottom but maybe not not in your top three at least yeah yeah um, and they because infantry is pretty tough usually like because a lot of people want to do it's it. pretty tough yeah yeah because a lot of people want to do it so um we're going to be able to do as a cadet you're going to get to rank all of the branches that you want uh all however many there are i think uh, 15 20 whatever it is right finance will be on there adjutant uh, general will be on there uh everything's going to be on there so you're going to rank them one through however many there are and uh and from there based off your grade based off how you did your cadet uh summer camp and all that stuff um 
it, they're going to assess you one to however many thousands of cadets there are, right? And uh, and you'll you'll accordingly get whatever. There's some kind of algorithm that, go, that goes into it, and you'll be put on some kind of like OML basically to get whatever branches are up there. Um, so if you have right infantry, armor, aviation is your top three, and your grades kind of suck, and maybe you're like maybe a middle of the pack, fifty percent percentile cadets, like hey man, you probably are not going to get those three. Right, those are harder to get. Um, so that that's just food for thought for for the listeners out there. And then uh, on top of that, like I said, you're still fighting for active duty. So if there are twenty thousand cadets that are fighting for active duty across the nation and they only have 15,000 slots. Well, guess what? If you're in the bottom of the barrel, then you're probably going to go guard or reserve. And they take grades yeah. as well as performance, uh, like during yes. that training, like PT scores and all that stuff into account as well. Yes. <clears throat> yes, absolutely. Okay. So, I say they did when I was doing it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty sure they still do it. Most of the cadets that I've yeah. talked to, um, you know, and then also usually they do similar things like um, for schools and stuff too. Like not everyone, not every cadet gets to go to every school. Um, so like oh, the yeah. better you are, the more you excel with your grades as well as at training. Like the more likely you are to get some of those more favorable options. Yes. Yes. As well. um, so you commissioned <laughs> had to wait six months, which is crazy to me. Um, it's yeah, just crazy to no me because at all. What? It's just like. Goodbye. It, yeah, it's just it's crazy that they had four years to set up your bullock date. Like, you know what I mean? It's not like you just randomly showed up. <laughs> like, you, it's not like so, they couldn't I have seen it coming. Things have changed a little bit. <laughs> I think things have changed a little bit now. It's like cadets now, like during their senior year, like they, like I think even at, like right after the cadet summer camp, like they're, and I'm I'm not sure if this entirely true, but this is what kind of feedback I'm getting from the new lieutenants. Like they already know. What post? What? Yeah. What posts are going to? Obviously, what branch are they're they're going to? When their bullet date is like by the time they're seniors in college. Okay. Well, that's so nice. things are. I, I yeah. think things are a little bit better now. Like for for field artillery, what it used to be. In fact, for uh, I'm going to skip to the bullet part a little bit, but we used to not find out our first duty station until a ball at the very end of bullet. So they stopped doing this purely because of. Uh, dependents who were get very angry at the balls because what you did is you showed up there at the ball. This is for field artillery exclusively, I think. Um, towards the end of your bullet class, you spent four-ish months doing doing stuff at Fort Sill. You really want to get, you know, let's say like Fort Bragg or something like that. You show up to this ball and you get told your table number. You go over the table and the post name is on the table. So you say you really want to go to Fort Bragg. You did really well, and and you go there with your wife. You get to the table and it says Fort Bliss. Oh. Well, then obviously we had some drama. Were very upset. Yeah, a lot of drama. And then there were like colonels and, and captains and stuff and majors that were at the table, like from that post, like talk with you about it. But most of the time, it was just really angry wives screaming at them. So they stopped that for the artillery side. Some people just um, want to watch the world burn. <laughs> Exactly. That, that was that was probably a horrible idea on the uh, on the artillery. But nowadays, like I said, cadets are actually finding out like their duty station and, and their and everything before they even leave college. No, well, that's nice. Um, glad they're so, learning yeah. from their mistakes at least. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um. So, how long was uh your bullock, and how much time is spent on? 
Like how much of Bullock is roughly the same for all lieutenants and how much is different depending on your uh, branch? Because I know, like, for example, all enlisted soldiers go to basic training and then we go to AIT or, you know, OSIT. But everyone kind of gets roughly the same initial portion of that training. And I know not everyone does ROTC that, that commissions in the army. So there are some lieutenants that are going to show up with zero knowledge of the army. So how much of Bullock yeah. is dedicated to um, some of the more basic, you know, army, you know, tasks and stuff like that, like formations and, and things of that nature? Just a few weeks. So for, for context, on Bullock was four and a half months. Um, and I think I started at yeah, beginning of January, ended uh, yeah, about four and a half months later, right? So uh, the first few weeks is like all common core, maybe maybe close to four weeks or something like that. It wasn't very long, but most of the stuff you learn there is kind of regurgitation of, um, of probably stuff you should learn in ROTC, right? Structures of command, op boards, and stuff like that. And you'll go through like some like BBS three sort of stuff. And this is FA Bullock in 2015, right? This is not. I'm not sure how. And I'm saying this because all, like you just asked, uh, some bullets are different. I don't know if the infantry guys go out and do stuff more in their first few weeks of comic Corps, but the FA, uh, like a lot of, a lot of classroom time. Um, you're expected to get there and like know how to do formations and stuff and march and everything. Are but you it's, expected uh, to get there knowing that? Because for like, what if someone didn't do RCC? Oh, I see. No. So when you get to Bullock, like, you you had a, I've, I've gone through ROTC or West Point or something to, to commission, um, so you would have already you would have you would have had to go through that. You you, you have you don't have to go to ROTC to commission. You can commission without doing four years of ROTC. You can you can, but you you would either have gone green to gold, uh, West Point, or or ROTC, or they do have direct commissions. That's only for chaplains and doctors and stuff. Okay. I just, what if, cause you, do you have to do or you don't have to do ROTC from, for all four years. What if you decide to start no. like junior year or senior year? If you break it down into the four years, you have a, a military science, like one, two, three, and four. If you have are prior enlisted, you can, you can do only if your third and fourth year, but only if you're prior enlisted. So if you, so let's say, uh, well, I, I mean, let me backtrack a little bit. You can also do it as, as like, a, say you're a sophomore. Right, your freshman, you did do freshman. You didn't do ROTC, but then you, your sophomore, you want to do ROTC. Then you can do your second, third, and fourth year just fine. Uh, if you're prior enlisted, you can you can just only do your third and fourth year. But like that's like the only option. So if okay, your timeline has your timeline does have to actually. Uh, so you have to hit certain bit. steps. So you you are yeah. expected to know that stuff going in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so when you get, do get to bowl, like you're expected to know at least basic stuff, right? Um, there is a land nav course, like we did here at Fort Sill. Once again, it was, it was pretty easy. We did do it in buddy teams, sort of thing. Um, I think they still do it like that, buddy teams or maybe groups, something like that. Um, but I will say, uh, Bullock does not prepare you as an officer for uh, a lot of daily tasks you got to deal with, right? Hey, doing a hammer second, twenty sixty two. Um, BMCSing trucks, like this, the more daily stuff or, or routine stuff that you deal with as an officer or as a soldier in general, um, it's everything you learn in Bullock, especially from the comic war, is more conceptual, right? What to do if, you know, how do you handle this problem? What do you think about this problem versus actually hands on stuff? So I will say, I that do think it's a downfall. 
summer bowl. Yeah, right. I mean, you get you get we get second Tennyson that don't know anything because it's the routine stuff they don't teach you there. So, yeah, that's interesting. That's that's interesting to hear because, um, th- yeah, I've I've talked to some of the guys before, and I've mentioned this a couple of times. Where like a lieutenant is essentially like a private, like a brand new private, yes, with extra responsibilities that they don't know how to do. Um, so usually it falls, you know, onto the NCOs around them to, to teach them all of the things they need to know. Yep. And sometimes it's the same as when you get a new private, it's like, what did they teach this dude in basic NIT? Like, it seems like he just showed up and didn't, he skipped those. Sometimes it feels like that with officers too, where it's like, what? you don't know how to do any of this stuff. <laughs> no, it's absolutely true, man. Like, I wish they would, uh, I wish that you could go to Bullock and, you know, he always wished that a new soldier would come in like green on everything. Hey, he's. He's good on on all his HR stuff. He's good on all his medical stuff. He's good on all on on being able to like not fall out of a nine minute pace run. But you don't get him like that. No. And and, and same thing with officers, right? Because the curriculum, right, it, for officers, like I just said, is more like Common Core stuff is conceptual, right? What happens and how do you supervise it versus actually being able to do it? So like we did a PMCS class one day, man. It was. One day, and it was a few hours long, maybe two hours long, and it was uh, it was one day during Bullock, right? Out of the four and a half months. Everything else was focused on field artillery specific stuff, right? You should be at the motor um, pool every Monday in Bullock. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right here. PMCS is truck, up. kid. Yeah, but they're not used to that. So when they get to the unit and they're told, like, you know, sometimes there's also many issues, right? Like, hey, Lieutenant, like, you and uh, you and that specialist go PMCS that truck, right? And the specialist's been in a few years. And he looks his lieutenant. He doesn't know how to do anything. And they're like, ugh. <laughs> you know. But that happens. I acknowledge that happens, right? And uh, um, just to give you insight to uh, why we kind of suck sometimes. <laughs> Um, no, well, I talk about it sometimes. It is hard. Um, and like in basic, you have, there's so many people in AIT. There's so many people like each place you go, it gets shrunken down a little bit so that you have, um, you know, one leader to 400 people and then one leader to, sure. to 50 people. And then once you get finally get to your unit, especially as a 13 Fox, you get one unit or one leader to like, you know, two soldiers, uh, which is great, you know, for us training, you know, the new 13 Foxes and stuff like that. But but it is tough, I, and I, yeah. I recognize that it's tough for them to to train us to large scale and make sure that everybody knows everything that they're supposed to all the time. Um, sure. So it is. I understand a necessary evil, and I know I just I understand the concept of why it is so difficult to do. Um, but I will say they have elongated a lot of the AITs and stuff like that, which probably is transferring over to longer bullocks as well. Um, so they do seem to be doing trying to put more effort into the training on the, on the front end um, instead of uh, putting all of that onto the leadership when they get to their units. Um, So when you did Bullock, how, how much, uh, so in terms of uh, PT, because for some reason officers are like notoriously very good at like army PT, but you bring some officers to the gym and you're like, hey, sir, you want to bench this 225 pounds? You're like, mm, probably not. <laughs> um, so you guys ah. are usually notoriously good at like the PT test and army like fitness. Like you guys can run, you guys can do calisthenics, push-ups, you have the pull-ups. But like when it comes to some other stuff, I see you guys um, usually lacking, at least when you guys first show up. So is Bullock mostly just like as all you do is like army fitness PT stuff, like a lot of push-ups, sit-ups and running? 
So, so it's changed a little bit because of the ACNT and the which yeah, makes health sense. And stuff recently. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yes. So inherently, the Army for many, many years has translated being awesome at PT makes you a much better leader, which and, and that's fair, right? In some cases, that's that's absolutely right. But obviously. Obviously, me being able to run very fast, which I can't anymore, Tony, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Don't worry, I'm Me being able to run very fast uh, isn't going to make me better, at, like we said, PMTS in a truck, right? So I can, I can run as fast as I can, but that specialist is going to look at me like, what the hell is wrong with you? Well, well, yeah, it also thing. doesn't even translate. Running fast doesn't even really translate to like on-mission movements either. Um, that's much sure. more of like a strength endurance you know, skill, not so much, uh, you know, a running two miles fast kind of skill. So I just, I noticed, I always notice officers always come show up and they're like, yeah, I can run. I have a 1232 mile. And I'm like, yeah, we're going to go to the field for two weeks and ruck a ton though. So I don't really care how fast yeah. your two time is, you know? Yeah. Um, so the emphasis, the emphasis in Bullock was definitely being good at PT. So I, I did the pre-ranger at Bullock sort of thing. And I know at Fort Sill at the time, what I didn't realize was like, this was not a, superstructure program just the it's the captains at triple c who run it i didn't realize that as, as a lieutenant um but depending well, okay. on how uh, good those guys so are. you're saying that the captains at triple c guys is captain security course um they, are they the you're saying they're the instructors or no 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 no, no, no. sorry sorry no they're they're actual instructors but pt wise like when i was in bullock i did the we did a, in a pre-ranger program and the captains who come triple c who have a ranger tab they're the ones who get tasked to run the the pre-ranger program for the Bullock students. Oh, okay. So the six months that the captains are there in career course, the ones who have a tab are like, hey, guys, y'all are the range, you're pre-ranger instructors. Like, go over there and um, and uh, you're going to make them form up at 5.30 and do PT with them until like 7, 7.30 something like that. Hmm. So Interesting. Yeah. So for that, that's for that's for FHWC. I mean, I think it's or the FA world. I think it's pretty much the same everywhere. Maybe probably not infantry. I'll probably have dedicated. They probably have dedicated like NCOs and officers to that stuff. But I don't know because um, all expected to go to range. They're all expected to go to range school. Yeah, they they probably have a much more structured program uh, feeding into yeah. that because FA is not huge on the ranger tab, obviously. No, um, okay. it being technically an infantry school, but. Um, um, but yeah, so your PT though was mostly army mostly fitness focus. Okay. Yeah, and they've, they've changed it a bit now with hosting health and fitness. The army's still trying to figure this stuff out, right? Um, because now that we have transitions, we have to have to be stronger. But we also realize that the people we have teach stuff, right, are not very strong. Right? They're not. They're not very good at squatting, benching, deadlifting, and stuff like that. Which you'll be happy to know I have corrected over the past few years. I was going to say um, you lift, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Um, and I and, and I find that extremely important. So I think that strength is the basis for everything, right? I've noticed that like now that I can squat a whole bunch, deadlift a whole bunch, like rucking, easy man. Put 60, 70 pounds on my back, I will go. But these guys who are skinny. Who can run real fast stuff like that? You put too much weight on them, they'll break. We mentioned that and all also, the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And also like uh, it, more injuries. And, and and then when they start strength training, like they think they're injured. No man, you're you're really sore. <laughs> you're just you're you, just you, sore. You don't know what you don't know what what that back soreness feels like. You think it's an injury because you can hardly move. Man, you are just sore. Mm-hmm. I promise you, your back is not made of glass. But the army still hasn't gotten out of this um, trend where they think that because no one—it's not used to. It. It's gonna for for the upcoming lieutenants get strong, 
be able to squat, bench, and deadlift, especially. Um, running is still important, but it's not as important with the ACFT. Yeah, well, we because we've talked about. I mean, we're actually going to do, I think, a video on the ACFT. But um, even with a hex bar, I mean, squatting or deadlifting three hundred and forty pounds for max. Because we we always talk about it for us, especially at training like a ranger. You know, we want these guys to succeed at like the highest level. They, you know, we want them to be the best. So um, sure. The maxing for the ACFT for deadlifts is 340 pounds. And I know it's on a hex bar, which does make it easier, but it's a lot of weight. I know when I first joined, I mentioned this, like I weighed 135 pounds. Um, and I couldn't have, I was, there's no way I couldn't deadlift 340, you know, three times. And so, like, that's a lot of weight. And I know a lot of those guys that like are really good at running and stuff like that, like, that's a lot of weight, especially when you're on the lighter side. Yeah. So like putting on some yeah, muscle and some weight is going to go well, look a long way. <clears throat> so hopefully they have started adjusting the PT plans as necessary um, going into it. Because have you done an ACFT? I've done, yeah, I've done six or seven. <laughs> oh, wow. ACFTs. Um, yeah, I've done quite a few. What of you, course, now it doesn't count because it's one of the new ones now. Yeah, the they've switched out with the plank, uh, which, I th- which is... Isn't it like three over three minutes for maxing the plank? Like that's a disgusting amount of time to plank. It's it's a disgusting amount of time. Like for me to max, I think it's like three forty or something yeah. crazy in my year group. So I'm like, I, I'm uh, the, the twenty seven to thirty four year old year group, and yeah, I, I'm telling you, right, come October, like I, I'm I'm gonna try to max it, right? But man, three minutes and forty seconds is a long time to plank. And to I'm me, not that's just sure exactly. it's soul crushing mentally planking for three minutes and forty seconds. Like just thinking about it now, it's oh. like oh gosh. Also, your handleys push-ups are just a couple of events before that. So you just do the handleys push-ups in a plank position, and then you're going to do a sprint drag carry and all that stuff. Then you're going to come back right before a run and plank for like three-plus minutes. And then it's like, all right, get up, go run. Like, oh. Yeah, that's definitely – yeah, it's going to be tough to to max that out for sure. Um I, cause I looked at it and just like the order of events, like you said, like all that core workout right before you run, um, yeah, that's a lot. And then even just, I mean, I can't, I don't want to run right after I deadlift 340 pounds either. Yeah. So, I mean, I think personally, I think the ACT is a step in the right direction for the army. I know you and I had a conversation about having how two mile runs don't exactly make someone better in combat, but, um, I think someone, my personal opinion, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I think definitely making someone stronger able to do some of these movements will i absolutely agree and i i agree that it's a step in the right direction i don't know if it's you know where exactly i i would like to see it um but it's definitely a step in the right direction i mean being able to to you know actually move some weight the carries essentially like this project carry where you is simulating much more uh, effective skills for like a combat arms soldier than the normal apft was which didn't really showcase a lot of anything um except your ability to do good at the apft i just don't think the apft skills really (laughs) carried over where i think a lot of the acft skills do have some carryover into um you know proper training and and proper use of those muscles and things like that so i definitely agree that it's a step in the right direction um i don't know if it's exactly where i think it should be um i think you know I don't know if it ever will be because the army is going to get their hands on stuff and make things a little weirder than I probably want them to be always. But, um, but yeah, I definitely think it is a step in the right direction. Um, so coming out of, um, Bullock, 
so you did a lot of running and stuff. Hopefully, obviously, ideally, they're doing a little bit differently now for in terms of the ACFT. Um, and at FA Bullock, for example, you do uh, a little piece of everything, right? So you you do the FSO oh, yeah. stuff, you do the you know gunline stuff, and then also the FDC stuff. You do like all the parts of that. Yeah, um, just a, just a little bit though. Well, actually, I would I would say I did a lot of it. You, you actually do a, a lot uh, inside of there. So actually, FA Bullock has the second highest uh, recycle rate in the army, uh, right behind aviation. Uh, generally. Nearly 20, 15 to 20% of people will actively recycle. Um, that's actually a lot. Uh, thinking about, you know, if I had 120 people in my class and like, you know, 20 or 30 people had to, had to do it again. Like that's actually quite a few. Um, you spend about half your time on the FD, FDC side, like be trained to be an FDO and half the time on an FSO side. And uh, for FA Bowl, like most of the time people fail because of the safety test. For the on the FTC side, I can um, imagine, it's a big, yeah. it's a big, it's a uh, five to six hour test, um, and you're you're trying to you're you're finding um, unsafe stuff and, and everything, and uh, oh god, I don't want to go back to this. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, that, that test was pretty bad, but you have to, you have to get passed, and like and like it goes in like decimals, dude. Like, hey man, you got seventy nine point six. Sorry, bud, it failed. <laughs> Oh man! Sort of thing. Like it was, it, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like that. Um, and it did like some changes over the years. I think that like, hey, you can walk up and you get one correction from from like your instructor or something like that. I don't I don't remember what it's like now. I don't know remember what it's like exactly, but uh, or what it's changed to now. But that's but the hardest part in FA Bullock is the safety side, the FTC side stuff. So most of everything's going to be either safety or FSO side. You'll have two instructors: a, a gunnery instructor who teaches the safety stuff, and then the Fire support strategy teaches the fire support stuff. Um, fire support, man, we, we actually went pretty in depth. Um, and they actually, for a while there, they started incorporating JFO into Bullock. Um, and I think now they actually did get a, a thing with the JFO school. So, like, during Bullock, you actually go through JFO. So, they are coming out, I think, JFO qualified. Oh, um, wow. That's, that's surprising to me because JFO is not an easy school. Um, no. And I went right after Bullock. Um, I had a while to wait for him with the Airborne School. Um, so it is sometimes an option. And I'm once again speaking purely from the FA side. Uh, because you're you know, obviously in the home of the FA at Fort Sill. You have some you have some schools there, so they can send you right after Bullock. Uh, but yeah, during Bullock, I think they're doing I think they're doing JFO again during Bullock. Even if they didn't, like I didn't do during mine, like we got a lot of a lot of instruction on um on close air support and and uh and tac aviation so it was actually pretty in depth oh that's good i'm i yeah i wouldn't know um so did you feel how how prepared did you feel uh because i know you've already mentioned obviously like day-to-day tasks you definitely like don't know um but how how effective did you feel when you showed up and did your first um you know like planning phase for a more intense training mission um how prepared when you Very sat down to do all that correct. stuff? Yeah. Oh man, so I I felt extremely prepared, right? I was I did pretty well in Bullock. I was already a thirteen fox beforehand. I was super confident. I had just gone to JFO school. I went through all the precision strike uh, fires. We went through like the the, t- the target mensuration course stuff like that. I was super prepared, right? And I got to brag. 
I was in the three shot for one day when the when the S3 said you're going over to five seven three. Like heck yeah, all right, let's go over there and do this. And then I met y'all, and I was like, oh man, I'm standing amongst giants here. <laughs> um, no, seriously, like that was that was. I, I don't know if you remember, I first stayed there, but um, <laughs> I think uh, Sergeant McPherson was uh, making uh, PFC at the time span doing about a hundred burpees in the office. There was a puddle of sweat, the floor, uh, but. Going to there, like I thought I was prepared. Then I got there and I was like, wow, these guys are way cooler than me and extremely smart. Like, how am I going to actually uh make it here? So yeah, that that's that's where I was. I was just like an ant, like looking up at all these dudes. Um Yeah, we were pretty good. Um so <laughs> how in out of curiosity, did they? Because not everyone, obviously, FA Bullock is going to be airborne. Did they teach you guys uh, any airborne stuff in terms of like? Because um, obviously, fires are a little bit different when you're like seizing the airfield, for example, which is a lot of training we do at Bragg and stuff like that. Sure. So did you? You didn't get any of that at FA Bullock, I imagine. They wouldn't just no. teach that to people. No. So, um, interesting. Yeah, because that's a lot of that. That does affect your planning immensely with obviously if you have your own personal like your own planes of, of overhead and stuff like that um so yeah hmm, that's interesting um i just yeah i just wasn't exactly sure because for obviously on the enlisted side we don't it's different now uh, ait for 13 foxes is way longer now but when i went through and when you went through it was what six weeks um, six weeks yeah so like i showed up in my unit i, I don't know anything um and uh, for me, I went through RASP and everyone's going to all that stuff afterwards. So I was like brand new practically to the 13 Fox world. But you got four and a half months, um, which obviously pales in comparison, you know, when you walk in and you have, you know, E5s, E6s, E7s, you've been doing the job for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. Um, but you definitely came in probably more prepared than uh, the privates do. Um but you also have more responsibility as an officer, obviously. So when plans are being made, um, I, I joke about this sometimes. Sometimes people forget, like, you have to answer to the commander as a lieutenant and as an FSO. Like, you have to answer oh, to yeah. the commander. Uh, whereas, like, usually the FOs have to answer to the platoon sergeants and the, the first sergeant and stuff like that. And obviously, as an FSNCO, I also answer to the commander. But, like, you also have someone that's outranking you at where you're doing and is checking your own work and sometimes i think that the lower enlisted forget about that because you're the highest ranking person in the room as a you know a lieutenant even though you're sort of you are but like there's other ncos and stuff who they're scared of but for you it just seems like no one's ever watching you um but sometimes i think they forget that like you have a fso also a captain fso who watches you also you answer to the the battery commander as well as the whoever the unit you're attached to their commander as well so, like, you have a lot more oversight than I think people will realize as an officer. Um, and it's almost worse because, yeah, the NCOs are kind of in our face every day as privates. But, like, for you, it's like they only show up when you're going to get yelled at. <laughs> it's like scary when they're around yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, that's I, I, it's interesting to hear how much training, though, because four and a half months is a lot more than the enlisted get going into their unit. And the fact that you only spend a couple of weeks, four weeks on basic army stuff and you have three three and a half months that split between only two sections of um 
of learning is it's a lot. I mean, you got, you know, a month and a half month, almost two months per on each uh, type of training. So that's, that's a lot of, you know, good training. I think that you get, it might even be longer now, like I said, AITs are. Um, so it's interesting to hear how much training you have coming in, especially on the, you know, having to go through ROTC. Um, by the time you guys show up, as much as I make fun of you guys for being like privates with extra responsibility, you do have a, a fair bit of, of time kind of spent learning um, a lot of things. Sure. It just... I had, man, and all different on each lieutenant. Talking about early on the initiative, like, these guys aren't... You know, your listeners out there, if you're not taking an initiative to, to make yourself better, like you're not going to get better. Um, the army's got like 80% of the solution for you. The other 20% is all up to you, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I, obviously I've seen, and I've met, you know, really good officers, but I've also met, you know, bad officers the same way I've met really good NCOs and bad NCOs and good privates and bad yeah. privates. Um, and so, yeah. And like, usually what I tell these guys too, is like, even though you do have all that training coming in, um, I tell these guys all the time, like if you're going to go in as a Lieutenant, like find your, your E fives and find your E fours. Like those are the guys that are going to be the best able to answer so many of your questions about the army. Um, especially the E fours. I'll be brutally honest. Yeah. (laughs) Um, like as a Lieutenant, you're probably going to get bullied the most by the E fours. I think. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. Absolutely. Um, uh no that's awesome though um so we're actually coming up on like an hour uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about i just we got all the way up through your bullock and, and showing up oh um, man yeah oh wow this is a good conversation goes, i really appreciate it i didn't yeah, it realize it's already an hour it almost. goes quick <laughs> um yeah yeah dude uh the last thing i want to say uh for lieutenants uh, aspiring lieutenants um that really want to go rasp go to ranger school go, go to go to selection stuff like that uh hey you got a while before you can do that stuff, right? Um, not maybe not ranger school. You can go pretty quick to to ranger school itself. But if you want to go like SF, you want to go to selection and like say you get in the army, right? I've had I've had lieutenants this way, right? They they're brand new and they're like, man, this conventional stuff ain't for me. Like, dude, you've been in the army like six months. You don't know what the conventional stuff is. You don't know what the army is. Focus on your job. First and foremost, focus on your job, focus on being the best you can be at that job. And then after a few years, when you're a lieutenant promotable, you'll be eligible to do things like go SF or go PSYOPs or or civil affairs selection or something like that. But in the meantime, become good at your job. Don't sit around thinking that you're you're better than anyone else because you want to go SF or want to go to RAS or something like that. Uh, That's the last bit I wanted to leave with, with the aspiring lieutenants out there. Yeah. And that's great advice too. And obviously you want to, you know, sometimes you can, you can mess yourself up looking too far ahead, uh, you know, not doing what you need to do in the present. So that's, yeah, that's really good advice. Um, and obviously, like you said, you can't even do a lot of those things right off the bat. So, you know, no, um, that's absolutely good advice. Um, all right, Zach, I appreciate having you, uh, having you come on. Um, we appreciate you coming on and letting us know some of this information. Like I said, me and Daniel, obviously on the listen side, don't have a lot of that officer information. So we really, really appreciate you coming out and, and getting all this information out there for everyone. Hey, I appreciate you having me, James. Oh, and thanks again for fixing my intro- introduction. Uh, <laughs> you, did much better. you made it much better than I, I did. <laughs> no problem. That's what I'm here for. 